Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Deanna Trumner. Deanna is a public school educator in Alberta, Canada, and happens to be my sister. I'm very excited for this conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you, everyone will too. So thank you for joining us, and enjoy the show. Yeah, I think we're rolling now. Yeah, thank you for being on my show. Thank you for having yeah. me. Did you ever think um, you'd ever be on your brother's podcast or have a podcast? <laughs> just a mumble. You know what? It never crossed my mind, but I'm extraordinarily proud that you've taken the step when you're doing something that you're enjoying and you're learning along the way. It's awesome to see. But no, I never imagined it. It's awesome. It's yeah. good. Yeah, I never thought I'd have bored during COVID. Yeah. And also, have you heard of, uh, I always mention this, but I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. I love about. Joe Rogan. Did you hear about his Spotify deal? No. Well, he got a licensing deal for 10 years, so he did everything to Spotify. And it was like reported that it's around nine figures. Nice. Just to license his pocket, so he still gets to do his thing. And so, so in a way, and also I never thought, never seen or heard of a Canadian podcast our prominent game podcast allows people to come on and just talk about whatever. So. Just talk. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's a venture for sure, and it's impressive to take that on. And Joe Rogan's a fine example of sort of the uh, progression of career yeah. and evolution of podcast. He's really changed the way podcasts um, are presented in the audiences. He, he draws from all different groups and all walks of life mm-hmm. and talks about, um, he's not pigeonholing himself in one particular theme or topic or, um, you know, genre, uh, when he does his podcasts, he's opening it up for bigger discussion that kind of propels his next episode. So yeah, that's, that's inspirational definitely to, yeah. to follow him. Yeah. yeah. And so far, you know, um, I had, uh, my friend on who, uh, first guest, he owns his own personal training business and speaks a lot about mental health for men. Second guest was, um, he's, uh, I guess, a men- some of a mentor of mine, but he was, he's um, Aboriginal, but he's, uh, his, pa- his name is Pastor Nelson, okay. and he mentors youth for free. So he travels to Saskatchewan and just hangs out with youth and gives them great stories and basically mentors them for free. And, awesome. And then I had my other friend on, she was uh, a wedding planner spiritual healer now, and then uh, another friend, she's been in the financial industry for over 20 years. Then my friend does marketing for law firms. Lots of variety, yeah. lots of different so, so that's just my friend group so far, so we'll see what happens later on. And but yeah, but yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And Thank you, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to be here. It's, uh, it's a little bit daunting, even though I talk for a living in front yeah. of people, when you're having to focus your conversation, but you don't really know where it's gonna go, it's, uh, it's different, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah, but so for people who don't know you, you are a, a teacher, Sasha, so it would be educator, teacher? Yeah, uh, I started as a teacher. I'm currently working on my master's in educational leadership. So I'm looking to bridge from where I am in the classroom um, to more uh, leading the way a little bit um, in, in different avenues of education. Education is such a broad scope yeah. um, that when you say teacher, I think people picture an elementary classroom with color-coded bins and lots of kids with snot running down their face. Yeah. That's what you do for a living, which education is that yeah. in a lot of ways. My first 
teaching job was a grade two Ukrainian classroom. So you can imagine grade two students, you know, eight-year-olds, what they're all about. Um, but it's evolved a lot um, over the last, well, over my career, which has only been 12 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'd be a teacher, but an educator is what I like to think of just because um, I, I TV other teachers. Mm -hmm. I work with district administrators. I've taken on lead roles. So teaching is such a, I guess like it's such a narrow term, you know, you yeah. picture one thing with teaching, right? Um, with education, you're like, oh, well, what does that entail, right? So yeah, that's that's my profession. That's my line of work, yeah. And how has it transformed over the 12 years? So just the technology or? <sighs> wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, well, a lot of things have changed in education. Um, and I, you know, I'll speak from an Alberta context mm -hmm. because that's where my experience is. But um, even from when I was a student myself, to now, uh, so if we give a little, little bit bigger of a scope, you know, 20 years, let's say. Um, technology, of course, has changed for the better, I think. Um, teachers are becoming increasingly uh, adept at using technology in the classroom and engaging kids. The big thing that I've noticed is the engagement, is how do we get kids to become interested? And I remember being in school and being in a Ukrainian program and Ukrainian studies yeah. where it was, here's what you need to know, here's how you're going to learn it, just learn it. And that was the expectation, right? Mm -hmm. And you just did it. And there wasn't much concern about, are you interested in yeah. learning? Um, is this how you learn? So the whole idea of, you know, kinesthetic learners or auditory learners, visual learners, that science was there and the research was there, but it hadn't yet bridged into education mm -hmm. yet, which now I'd say 99% of our educators are well-versed in understanding how kids learn. So technology, yes. Um, how students learn engaging kids is a big thing. I can't even think about curriculum when I plan unless I think about my kids first. Okay. And, and that's, I think, been the most recent shift in education, especially in the Alberta context, is uh, we've been talking a lot, a big game of mental health, just in a lot of different ways. But in education in the last few years, there's really been a shift in not teaching the curriculum, but teaching the whole student and so knowing your kids first mm -hmm. before you try to present them with you know a b c and d that you're trying to cover um and that's really important given the influx of um newcomers mm -hmm. to canada a lot of refugee students a lot of immigrant families um so we're seeing a lot of different things uh, and that's a whole nother um, angle of it so yeah looking at the student first has been the biggest shift for me because we've always been so pedagogy heavy so curriculum heavy right. um, achievement right PAT exams in grades 3, 6 and 9 and 12 um, entrance exams into post-secondary mm -hmm. I mean that was the, the meat and potatoes of curriculum which is not a bad thing because if you look at um, over the last 15 years in Alberta um, PISA ranking. So PISA is uh, the it's a international um, test basically okay. that's administered. It's, it's an independent body of any school board or any country. And what they do is they administer a test to about I think about fifteen year old kids, and it's their own derived test. So the states and provinces don't have input onto what the test is about. And so when they administer it, um, they take a look at literacy, so reading, math, science. Um, as their gauges of how schools, how districts, how provinces, countries are doing. Alberta, in the last 15 years, has ranked among the top 10 
If we were our own country, we would be among the top 10 in the world for literacy, uh, numeracy, and for science. So the curriculum-heavy focus, I think, has really refined how teachers teach. So it's been good in getting us prepared for really knowing what the kids need to know and where they're going. Um, but the shift now is, okay, but let's think of the kid first before we met that. So that's been, I think, the, the biggest for me shift in thinking. Yeah. And to what extent would you plan a curriculum like for your kids? Because, well, obviously, they're not, no one's fully developed in century. No one's thinking about careers or what they're going to do until essentially grade 12 or high school. So, how would you kind of, I guess, base the curriculum or get to know a kid and base it around them? Would it be like language barriers? Would it be? Uh, well, they're, I mean, if I think of my students in the last few years, I'm at, at a school where we have a very large uh, refugee population of students, mm -hmm. ELS, ESL students, so English is a second language. Um, and that certainly is a very big challenge where we have a literacy barrier in their first language, let alone to take on a second yeah. language. Um, so definitely that can be a challenge, but it's that enthusiasm. You have to connect with your kids. So I'm in junior high. I've been in junior high for eight years, eight or nine years now, um, you have to make that connection with each and every kid. Sometimes it takes you three quarters of the year to break that wall down, but you can't stop trying because the minute you do, you lose them. They won't learn anything. Kids yeah. don't learn. And this is a really famous TED talk. And for the life of me, I can't remember her name. Um, she was an educator in the United States and she did a brilliant TED talk and one of the things she said was uh, kids don't learn from people they don't like. That was very true. Right? And you don't necessarily absolutely love and adore the little shit that is throwing pencils or flipping desks. Of course. Yeah. Right? However, you still have to find that connection, especially with those kids. Yeah before you can start figuring out, okay, in terms of the curriculum, where are they? In Alberta, we have um, a lot of flexibility on how we interpret the curriculum in terms of if a student is not at grade level, and but they're enrolled in grade nine. Let's say they're reading at a grade one level for whatever reason, variety of reasons, um, but they're enrolled in grade nine and they're in a grade nine English language arts classroom. I still have to try to get them as close to that benchmark as humanly possible, but I have to start from where they are. Wow. So uh, they may very well be exempt from exams at the end of the year, so government exams, PATs in particular, mm -hmm. we have exemption um, lists that we can, you know, forms that we can fill out and, and exemptions we can get for these students based on their need. Um, there are accommodations we can get them, so someone can scribe for them, someone can read to them, we have a lot of ways that we can help them uh, write these exams if they're not exempt. But uh, yeah, if they're reading at a grade one level and they're in my grade nine classroom, I have to modify my instruction, my materials, my exams to meet them where they are, to try to get them to where they need to be. Do we get there all the time? No, of course not. I can't do that when I have 37 students in a class for 60 minutes. You can't, but you can certainly try. And, um, you know, in the last four years or so, we've had a lot of support, um, educational assistance, um, additional funding, um, things like that, that have really helped with that. But yeah, I still, I mean, I can, I can play around with how I'm introducing the concept, but if I'm teaching essay writing, mm -hmm. 
that sort of dictates that I, my students should know how to spell, how to write a complete sentence, how to use punctuation, how to use grammar, to have voice in their writing, uh, the idea of a paragraph, the structure of a paragraph, how to transition ideas. So we're talking, like it's 10 years they've had of education by this point, right? Like it's K to nine. So those are the assumptions that they should have those skills. Do they have them? I'd say in the last few years, majority of my students don't. So you, you meet them where they are and you try to get them to where they need to be, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I met the standard, standards in English in high in junior high for myself. Yeah, it, I was also lazy. I didn't read it all. Well, and that's and that's <laughs> interesting that you bring that up too. So yeah, um, interestingly though, Alberta actually ranked. Uh, these were like I think the twenty seventeen piece of rankings. Alberta ranked if we were a country third in the world for reading. Oh wow! Um, so I think our standards are so high that even those that perhaps aren't meeting, you know, that mm -hmm. standard of excellence that, you know, 90% plus or 80% plus are still the growth that they're showing, mm -hmm. right? Um, and our standards are quite high in comparison to a lot of different jurisdictions. I mean, if you look at some parallels in the US, um, our standards and our, our grade levels and um, outcomes that we're teaching to students at different levels are a few years ahead. That's of that in the United yeah. States, um, in many places. So I heard even our, our public education is probably even surpassing their private education in most places or some places. I, I know of one personal, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, family friend who lives in the United States who had children in the U.S. in California, and the kids went to private school, and I believe it was something like seventeen hundred dollars a month wow. per student. And they did not have extracurricular things like music um, or band or any of those mm -hmm. publicly included options that we have in Alberta. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, in a lot of respects, yeah, Alberta has had really high standards, high expectations, high quality instruction and high quality education for teachers, which has brought those kids to where they are. So yeah, maybe you weren't, and junior high is a funny time. Mm -hmm. Like junior high kids, they don't like to read, they don't like you, they don't like anything, you know, so that's a challenging time to begin with. But by the time they get to grade 12, they're kind of, they're, they're where they need to be for the most part. I would say I probably liked English or did better because of my teachers in high school. Not my grade 10 teacher, I got the two worst ones. Mm -hmm. There's one, I'll say her name is Demo, mm -hmm. and she's a fairly large woman, mm -hmm. and she always sat when I'm worse for always sound desk in front of the classroom. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah, that's something you gotta think about as a teacher too, right? For your grade <laughs> that you're teaching and the kind of demographic you're teaching, it's certainly something you gotta think about. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. my other teacher, Mr. Kaminsky and Mr. Romantic, they were extremely passionate about English and the way they taught it, and somehow I got like 90s plus in Shakespeare and poetry, but essay, they got like 60. Yeah, but see, reading and writing and analyzing what you read mm -hmm. and writing are two completely different skill sets, right? Yeah. So the idea of literacy, kind of lumping all that together, isn't really fair because you could really love reading something or love an author or love a, like a certain type of book and be able to understand it and picture it. Putting it into words and your own thoughts, like I said, there are so many steps to writing everything, yeah. right? That you just might, that's just not your jam and that's 
there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, yeah, and that's the whole big thing is making that connection with your kids, right? They're not going to learn from you if they don't like you, right? Um, you're not going to love every student, no. but you've got to make a connection with them, right? And, yeah, so you were not the greatest reader to begin with, and look at where you ended up in your final years of high school, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and for education-wise, where do you see education going in Alberta in general? Um, we can touch on it, and I'm not sure how far you can touch on it, but I know recently there was, uh, at least for I don't watch the news a lot, I should maybe watch a bit more, especially having podcasts. It's dribble. Um, um, and reading the, slowly reading the Canadian Constitution right now, it's a book. And then I have the Charter Rights and Freedoms and Every Canadian's Guide to the Law or something like that. It's important stuff to know, yeah. But yeah. Um, there was a, I guess, a curriculum change. I'm not sure to what part of the curriculum or to what extent, but... Um, for me, for what I disliked about it, I, um, first of all, the news didn't tell us anything. They were said what they changed, but also um, to have a uh, curriculum change, and, 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 and Seth can't speak right now, but <laughs> in a sense, um, it'll affect our, the next generation, how people learn, what uh, information they consume, and, mm-hmm. uh, and if there's no council or, or a survey or anything done to have a vote, if there should be changed and why it should be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's uh, a little bit shady and not really, I guess, democratic and democratic society. Yes, to a lot of your points. Um, when it comes to curriculum, so the recent um, happenings for curriculum in Alberta, there are a lot of issues with that that I'm going to try to be as uh, not neutral, partisan, you know, neutral about it, um, and sort of leave my opinions out of it and kind of touch on the important parts. So. Um, Curriculum needs to be updated periodically. 100%. It, it needs to be, um, four years ago, I think it was four years ago, we uh, started integrating, there was a big integration of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit perspectives into all subject areas, which is paramount, the reconciliation um, committee that uh, um, the federal government put into place. So all of that was set into motion for all good things, for purposeful education. This is the land, Treaty 6, we need to be learning about our, uh, the ancestors and the heritage of our land. That's paramount. There's nothing negative about that. It will benefit our students. Um, it gives them a different perspective um, to learn from, right? Um, so that was all positive. Um, recently, uh, our Minister of Education, um, in the middle of the pandemic, decided to um, announce a curriculum rewrite. If we backtrack a little bit before that announcement, which was not, any curriculum rewrite that they're thinking of doing is not in consultation with the educators that know the demographic of students that we have in Alberta Mm -hmm. and have the expertise and the um, experience to put forth a curriculum that is useful and purposeful. The thing is, is if a teacher can't use the curriculum, you're not gonna get the effectiveness of the curriculum, right? So, and I'll say that first. Um, But prior to that, through um, our previous provincial government, um, there was a significant amount of funding that was put into place to rewrite the uh, social studies curriculum in Alberta, which uh, was quite outdated, Mm -hmm. uh, needed a big update to include uh, some of those First Nations perspectives that we mentioned, um, but also just uh, update things that are happening in the world. Social studies is such a, evolving um, field that you have to update it. So there was a big investment where teachers collaborated um, to produce a curriculum that included all of the targets that both federal and provincial governments wanted included 
but also covered, you know, the, um, the standards that we needed to have in social studies. So that was great. It was completed under the NDP government. Uh, just before the switch in provincial governments, um, they were starting to pilot the kindergarten to grade four social studies mm -hmm. to see um, how it was going to work. What was different about this curriculum is it's concept-based. So a lot of social studies in the past has been fact-based, like kind of memorize these dates yeah. and memorize these facts and then try to apply it when you're in grade 12 to the idea of economics, let's say, for example, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which isn't, we found through research, is not effective. You're, you can't apply that information when it's just rote learning, right? So the new curriculum was concept-based. And for the last probably two years, uh, I know at least in certain Edmonton divisions, teachers have been taking PD every couple of months, mandated PD, on concept-based learning and how to switch our thinking to teach it in a way where it's conceptual. So here's the big idea. Um, thinking about things like um, uh, in Venezuela, so the current situation, current climate with the crisis that's happening in Venezuela, that doesn't seem to be talked about a lot on mainstream media, interestingly enough. Um, so that whole idea, introducing that concept and then dissecting each of the different components of that conflict. So the environmental issues, the indigenous issues, mm -hmm. the government elections. So you start with this big broad concept and you're breaking it down so kids can start to make those connections. That's the big thing. You want them to do that young so when they get to grade 12, they can take information and apply it to a new idea. That's higher level thinking, yeah. right? Um, and so we've, you know, a lot of teachers have been um, mandated to PD on concept-based learning. It was great. We were starting to dig our heels in and it was a pilot because with anything good, you don't just do it once and say, I'm done. Yeah. You have to go back and revise it. You have to try it out. How does it work? Where are the kinks? How can we make it better? Got to improve. Uh, so that was the plan, starting with K-4. Um, so that was released as a pilot to certain schools, not to everyone. And then we were waiting for the remainder of the curriculum to be released as either a pilot or just released to us so we could start to implement it in a slower process. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a bang, figure this out and off you go. It was a slow progressive process in social studies. Uh, what ended up happening is we had an election. Yeah. We had a complete swing, complete 180 swing of government um, and they stopped the pilot and they have scrapped the years of work and the millions of dollars that were put into that new curriculum and um, what's happening now is there are some advisors that are being appointed by the current Minister of Education um, rather than for their experience in education. Um, I believe, in my opinion, they're political um, appointments. Uh, some of them very controversial. Uh, you need to just, uh, you know, do a quick Google search of uh, who um, our minister has appointed in the social studies review of the curriculum. And um, we've got, we're going backwards just by the people that we're seeing are being put into this position. Um, and so we're basically at square one 20 years ago wow. when it comes to the social studies curriculum which is really unfortunate mm -hmm. um, because it's not doing anybody any good. And I believe uh, from the article that I read, I think it was in the journal, uh, one of the responses to why are we doing this right now was that the NDP funded curriculum rewrite was too left. 
and had leftist ideology. So they're politicizing our curriculum, yeah. which sucks because then it puts us in a position where um, if we don't deliver it as written, we're breaking contract. It's a le- curriculum is a legal document. Legal, wow, I remember that. It's a legal, student report cards are legal documents. So if I write anything on a report card, if I make a note on a student's file um, through the, the school division, that is a legal document. So anyone can come back and say, your name's on this, explain it. Mm-hmm. And I'm legally bound by that. Wow. So it doesn't give teachers any flexibility to teach how to think, they're teaching what to think. And that's what we want to get away from. That's where we were 30 years ago. We just said, that's where we started, right? Learn this, learn it this way, and off you go, right? No one questioned it. We've learned so much about development, brain development, the science of education, um, what works, what doesn't. We're going in reverse. And the kicker is that it's happening during a pandemic when in Alberta, Mm -hmm. we have pretty high instance of COVID, mm-hmm. um, Edmonton specifically is growing past Calgary, which initially was the reverse. Um, and if we look at how much funding per student across the country, uh, I know that Edmonton Public lost over $600 of funding per student wow. in this coming school year, um, which is difficult to have an appropriate number of teachers in a room to teach a student. So I can't social distance with 37 students in an average classroom. I can't. Mm-hmm. My desks right now are less than three feet, three feet apart from each other. What, what do we do with that, right? Um, so we're, yeah, the, the idea of curriculum and the curriculum change right now, in my very humble opinion, is a type of gaslighting mm-hmm. to the the issues that teachers and school divisions have brought up. We've been trying to bring these issues up since March, knowing full well that, you know, it, there are a number of different scenarios that we could go back in September. We couldn't plan because A, we didn't have our funding allocation. Yeah. They clawed back money and we didn't know if we were coming back in September. We didn't actually know. So we couldn't plan anything. And now we're going, okay, well, what are we supposed to do? So it's their gaslighting with this new curriculum. I don't think it's necessary. We taxpayers paid enough money mm-hmm. to have a rewrite, so that's where we're at. Well, actually, I didn't know to say that to be honest. Just the fact that, well, it's just it's such a shame, like you mentioned, that it's just North America wide right now. Unfortunately, um, supposed to be uh, kind of almost the leaders in the world of just everything. Almost we kind of have that image of. But now, our, basically, our politics, um, federally and um, provincially, and statewide, and also nationally in the states, is um, everyone's trying to push a political agenda and and trying to, I guess, almost keep their power. And, mm-hmm. and I guess in a time where people need help the most, yeah. and it's unfortunate, but since now they have the most power, because um, I've never seen any other political leader or party on the, the news other than our premier and our um, prime minister. Yeah. And they can make changes, make bylaws without any consent. And even in California uh, right now, they can't even have um, barbershops open. Yeah. So they're back at square one lockdown. And so essentially the government's dictating um, basically if people can work or not. And, 
And I never knew, but basically they dictate what teachers have to contractually. Yeah. And, and it's a shame, yeah, they're pushing their agenda at a time where... It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous in a lot of ways. And you had mentioned media before. And if we could go back to that for yeah. a second, because um, I don't feel in North America that we have nonpartisan or neutral media. No. Um, years ago, uh, you know, I never watched the news as a kid because it's like, you know, that's boring. It's like Walter Cronkite or something like that states, but... Yeah, there, I mean, there were some big names in news, but the thing was is they would share their perspective, mm-hmm. but they reported the facts. the facts, and it was up to the viewer to dis- decipher mm-hmm. what was true, what was not, and what their opinion was on the issue and take a stand. We're not being shown the big picture. Media in North America is bought and paid for by the government. And that's a loaded statement, but it's so true. The CDC received one of the biggest bailouts in Canadian history from the Liberal government. Do you think they are inclined to report on anything that goes against Liberal agenda? Of course not. I mean, you want to keep your funding, right? Exactly. So it's unfortunate, though, because that's how you get this great divide among people because you said people need help right now the most that's when you're the most vulnerable so if you control what the people are seeing what they're hearing you control them what they think and what they're talking about right you control them the more and more they need you right it's like a parent right if you don't give your child a little bit of space to sort of make those mistakes learn from their mistakes help other people if you're in control the whole time they never learn anything they never take off they never think for themselves right we're in a dangerous situation i mean we're in a shitty situation thinking about who is currently in office leading north america mexico actually has been more stable and quiet than i had assumed they would have Mm -hmm. been politically which is good for them but they're looking at the shit show north of them and they're going, well, what's further to do? Yeah. Like, really? Well, to cut up the cartel, we're probably showing up with some mess going on. So, you think? definitely a plus. Do you think, I mean, the, the states is capitalist more so now than, you know, yeah. perhaps during the Obama years. Um, it's still very much make or break your own lifestyle. Yeah. That's been the American thing, and that's just who they are, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But now, like you said, yeah, the cartels and stuff, they can wheel and deal right into the U.S. Why? Because it's money, 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 mm-hmm. right? If you're not bringing in the money, you're not important. You're dispensable there. <clears throat> in Canada, if you're not allied with a liberal, it's not even about political parties in Canada. It's about where you align with your thinking, Right. If you feel that, you know, um, like in Alberta, a big thing is, um, you know, the, the right to uh, own a gun, a registered firearm. Yeah, I've actually been to that myself. <clears throat> okay. So my husband, right, they like to go hunting him and his dad, right? His dad, longtime hunter, lifelong yeah. hunter, right? Fed his family um, through hunting. He's never been arrested for anything. He's never been charged for anything. He's no issue, right? The government is trying to impose, you know, taking away their gun. You don't need guns. Well, hang on a second. Who are you to tell me we don't need guns, right? And I get those that freak out and say, well, what do we need guns for? The police have guns. Okay, well, let's take a look at what's happening in the U.S. The police do have the guns. People have the guns, too. Are the police being shot more or are the people being shot more in the U.S. right now? Exactly. That shows you right there in those extreme examples 
why, yeah, I may not have a gun to go to the shooting range for. Perhaps that's a little extreme. If I'm, you know, like big gun enthusiast, I don't know if there's many of them, but for hunting, why is that an issue? But if you express that to certain people with an opposing point of view right now in Canada, you're considered, you're right wing, you're crazy, you're a redneck, yeah. right? Typical, you're from Alberta, of course you want to own guns. Well, hang on a second, we're not all idiots over here, exactly. right? But political poison, right? You look at Jason Kenney and you look at Trudeau, two polar opposites. Oh, 100%, yeah. So if your ideology aligns with one, you're going to think the other is absolutely yeah. evil, right? And so what's happening kind of through the media is that divide among people. It's, well, you're left, well, you're right, well, you're a tree hugger, right? Well, you're a redneck. Well, aren't we all Canadian? Like, for Christ's sakes, in BC, people were going over just, you know, in the summertime, driving over to BC for a family holiday. We're staying within Canadian borders. So I think you can't go to Cologne now if you're from Alberta place. So, yeah, what was happening is people were driving into BC, and I mean, we're three hours, three and a half hours from the border. Yeah. And we're central Alberta. Three and a half hours, you're in BC, right? They're mountain towns, whatever. Something that people do all the time. I mean, that's what we've done all our lives is mm-hmm. go out there golfing, skiing, whatever. Anyway, um, I've never felt growing up that one province to another, that I was crossing any sort of border or any, you know, going anywhere different. It was Canada. Like, yeah. we were one, right? Yeah. Now, the cars are getting tires slashed, glass broken out, go home Albertan signs put on people's cars. We had a friend uh, and his wife, there was a death in the family in BC. They chose to fly. During the pandemic, they, they wanted to risk their health rather than drive out there and risk either being assaulted or have their property damaged. That's craziness. Yeah. I mean, there's always been some, you know, animosity, like OPC or tree huggers, right? Alberta, Alberta, or whatever, yeah. right? There's always been that kind of poking, right? Like mm-hmm. ABC, anybody but Calgary when it comes to hockey, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But all in good fun, right? We were still all Canadian. You don't see that anymore. No. You don't. It's like, oh, those stupid people from Ontario. Oh, the French in Quebec. Oh, the, oh, the Maritimers are lazy. Like, there's a stereotype that's labeled and attached to every Canadian now. And that is the media's doing. Because if we weren't listening to the media, we weren't watching the media, you'd still be you, I'd still be me. And the relationship that we've had or the the familial ties down the way would still exist and wouldn't have changed. It's the media that's causing that divide. Because if we're fighting, we're not paying attention to the stupid shit they're doing. That's that's what they want. Right? Yeah. And yeah, and and exactly. and it's not that certain groups and certain people don't have the right to be emotional, have certain issues brought up, but Exactly, and people are getting cancelled or jobs or or their jobs are being fired for even stuff they've done five, ten years ago when it was a different just landscape in general. People mm-hmm. no one really cared back then, but now I'm not saying it wasn't it should have they should have done it back then, but now all of a sudden it's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And oh and also and this is I guess more so it's now it's uh if you're a certain color and it's more so now if you're you know if you're a white male then you're automatically a racist um, yeah. pig and no matter what and it is the media yeah and and what i looked at what i'm what i associate and where we're at and this is a, a huge leap um, for some people i think i've been re-watching a ton of uh, world war uh, two i just love that uh, war yeah history, history man. yeah I, I, I love watching it but um and also listen to a lot of podcasts and humans, we go through cycles. 
Um, just like um, when you're born, you have great upbringing, you generally um, have a tougher growing up when you try to make it into the world because you're coddled and versus mm-hmm. not saying one's better than the other. Just nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. That's age old question. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm seeing is um, the few controlling the many. Yeah. And if you don't have a, if you don't think a certain way, you're ousted, you're yeah. You're labeled a certain thing, and what happened almost again, humans go through cycles. What happened almost a hundred years ago, or just under a hundred, just under a hundred years ago, um, a guy named Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. who had a few followers, got into power and then controlled, control few controlled the many. Yep. And I'm not saying you know something like that's gonna happen, but it's very possible it could because first of all. Um, a lot of people from that generation, well, they're gone, they're dead. No one knows yeah. what it's like to go through war, yeah. to like war, war, like it was. And now, same thing's happening again. It's uh, states is much worse. Like it's more, I would say, um, polarized in the states. The count is very much like, uh, I just say it's like a lagging effect of the states. Whatever happened in states, a few, few years down the road, it's going to happen in Canada. And, and they're talking about civil war in the states happening and could very well happen in Canada and it's unfortunate that it's happening now and in the time we're in, um, I guess in the time where I guess we need all help and to your point about updating the educational system, I think across the board in policing and um, social help and how we treat people and our political system, I think all needs updated because we're in an era where even five years ago it was a completely different time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we need to update a lot of things and we're on our way. It, it's not like these things um, are new to, you know, the whole notion of defund the police. Okay, first of all, that's some shit. Yeah. Okay, because when someone's breaking into your house because there's a pandemic and people are out of work and homelessness has increased and there's crime everywhere, who, who are you going to call the police? You want to defund them, right? <laughs> we got to make something really clear. And yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of points that we could go to uh, on what you were saying there, um, but we have to look at what these professions are expected to do and then compare it to what they're trained to do. Yeah. Because the thinking is always forward, right? We're always thinking what can we improve, how to make it better. That's what makes North America, North America. Right, we're not so deeply rooted in a country's history, right? Yeah, often in other countries, cultural, religious Mm -hmm. things influence roles, expectations, Mm -hmm. laws for sure, right? Okay, even if you look at the Middle East, right? Um, The shift that happened in the 70s with Iran, right? That went to the Shah. So there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that can influence, but in North America, we're, we're always, it's progressive, right? That's the whole point of why people come here. It's progressive. It's reflective. It's supposed to be reflective of people. But if you take a look at, for example, policing, what their training is, right? Does every police officer know the law? Nope. They're not lawyers. Nope. Yet they're forced to uphold the law. So they've got to figure out and rely on either themselves, their partners, or their, um, you know, their higher ups to tell them whether or not a law has effectively been broken. Because why arrest a person if the prosecutor's not going to charge them? Mm-hmm. Like it's a cyclical thing. It <clears throat> goes in circles, right? Yeah. So they're not trained in the law, but yet they're upholding the law. They're dealing increasingly with people that have addiction issues, homelessness, and significant increases in mental health uh, problems. Mm-hmm. They're not trained psychologists. No. That's not even touched on in their training. 
They're not trained uh, paramedics, although they have first aid. They're not paramedics, okay? Um, they're not addictions counselors, right? But these are the people and the issues that they are addressing and expected to handle yeah. every day. So the idea of defunding the police will only work if whatever you're taking from them is either going into more training mm -hmm. that is specifically targeted to whatever that particular city's yeah. need is. Is it, do we have homelessness? Well, what's the issue with homelessness? Addiction yeah. and mental health. So how do we train our police officers, our frontline workers, to address those needs? So we're not arresting people, we're not assaulting people, um, we're, we're, we're working with these people, right? So are we gonna train them? to fulfill those expectations yeah. or are we going to take that money and are we going to support them by providing them with different frontline workers, social workers, psychologists, interventionists, um, mental health beds yeah. in our hospitals. Where are you going to put you that money? Or two. Yeah. Yeah. So where, what are we doing with that extra mm -hmm. money? It, the whole, and again, that labeling, defund the police. Okay, bullshit. You can't defund the police. You need to help the police yeah. because they're doing five jobs. That's the expectation. The training is for one, mm -hmm. right? Um, but they're dealing with, with our most vulnerable people on a daily basis. And don't forget they're freaking people too. Mm -hmm. They are people with families. They are people that are trying to make a living. There are a few that are dicks, don't get me wrong. 100%. There will always be everywhere and they ruin it for everybody else. But that's what that media tends to focus on. Yeah. Look at this one shit asshole, excuse me, yeah. that did this to whoever, right? They focus on, uh, you know, the, the bad eggs, right? When there are, you know, 99 to that one that are not that way, that don't want to be painted in that light, but that are forced to suffer yeah. the consequences. So we're not talking about where's that money going, we should just defund the police. Yeah. Well, why? Well, what are you going to do with it? Just uh, last month, uh, City of Edmonton removed $11 million of funding from yeah. the police service. Where's that money? Yeah, where's it going? Where'd it go? And I mean, you got to think about it too. Okay, so we're going to invest in social workers and psychologists to support our police officers so that, you know, when you call, they can assess the situation, perhaps send a therapist or send an interventionist or send a paramedic first before they send a police officer. Great. Except, how are you going to do that when there's someone that is having a breakdown due to psychosis on the side of the road and threatening people? What is a police officer supposed to do? Talk them off the ledge? Mm -hmm. Same goes for teachers. Anybody in the public sector of work is the first to get shit on, but the reality is, is you are expecting multiple roles yeah. under that one label, but you're only really training for maybe one or two of those. And that's evolving. I mean, yeah. school boards are evolving to catch up with our demographic. Who are we serving? We're not serving a primarily Caucasian uh, demographic anymore, no. um, or even European immigrants anymore. That was the past, right? But now, who are we serving? Who is our influx of student population? What do they need? Um, so we're shifting in education with that, but that doesn't happen overnight, right? Teachers, okay, we're expected to teach. That's number one. We're expected to report, so assess or report. So you have to, assessment doesn't mean paper, pencil, test. It means, what is the student saying in class? Are they demonstrating they understand something by what they say? 
Uh, sure, some of it's tests or things they hand in, but we're analyzing and assessing their social development. Essentially, you have to be a psychologist in the sense. Then we have kids that have mental health issues, increasingly so. Some schools are hiring... Um, would that be due to potentially technology? Would that be maybe the processed food or a combination of everything? Everybody's got a theory, right? You can find research to support any theory yeah. nowadays. Um, I mean, that's a whole... Another story. That's a whole other story. Um, yeah, the increase in mental health, there's been a steady increase. Does that mean that just in the last generation there's been... Or to be more awareness. Well, and that's the thing too, right? You know, I hear our mom say a lot of the time, well, we didn't have that growing up. Yeah, bullshit, you did. Yeah. You just Different didn't know what to call it. Um, and no one really wanted to show it because you were marginalized, you were separated, right? So it's a difference with that, I think, is one aspect of it, is it wasn't easily identifiable. We didn't have the research and brain no. development at the time, right? We just, the science wasn't there, um, the understanding of mental health, the understanding of the brain and oh. brain development has evolved we still don't know. Researchers and doctors still don't know. The brain is almost like the sea. Like we don't know very little about the sea. It's like the brain, like exactly. So that is one angle of it. Mm -hmm. um, mental health. Another thing with it too is yeah, technology. Absolutely, there's been a ton of research. Um, uh, Jack Hyros is actually uh, leading a professional development. Um, group that targets teachers but also other mental health professionals in Alberta um, and that's one of their sessions is looking at the um, the effect of technology on our youth and yeah so that's a whole I mean you can find research to support it 100% and yeah we know that it will change the pathways in the brain the longer a child is exposed to certain types of technologies and how early we know that it changes the synapses in the brain the way the brain sends messages right so there's that there's also people that argue that's an evolution thing that mental health yes. or what we perceive as mental illness is really a generational or multi-generational evolution of how people think and brain development and that we're teaching society structured wrong for that brain um, I know in education that's a big thing is students with ADHD before it used to be okay let's medicate them and hopefully they don't freak out and you can get through your lesson now it's how do we approach the way that child learns yes. um so there's you know a, a circle of theory in that um gmos and foods genetically modified foods hormones antibiotics pesticides herbicides the united states has it's no holds bar on their food they spray their shit with everything yeah. um even organic certified organic there is no guarantee that the water that is used to water those crops is not pumped full of whatever residual stuff comes through from the farm down the way that's not organic. Well, maybe we should put, have to put organic, we should just know that it's organic. But then that's the money maker, right? Yeah. You should have to label non-organic food, the rest of it should just be organic, right? That there's the money maker, right? And that's the US with money. So yeah, there's what's in our air? The pollution. Mm -hmm. What's in our food? How are we growing our food? I mean, the world is overpopulated. You've got to yeah. supply food to everybody. How do you do that? You boost up your crop, you make it bigger, make it grow faster and grow more of it. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You genetically modify it. But over time, it may not affect you or I who are consuming it right now, but it's going to alter our genetic DNA, our DNA, our RNA. Yeah. So intergenerationally down the road, couple generations, that's when you're going to see the effects. And that's what we're starting to see now. 50s, 60s, even the 70s, fresh food, right? 
women tend to stay home traditionally, right? Mm -hmm. They had gardens, they cooked meals, it wasn't on the go. You had that different sort of family unit, right? It didn't happen. People didn't have the money for it. It didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. Now it's the reverse. It started in the 80s, the whole notion of the microwave, right? Ooh, I'm going to stick something in it. We're going to send radiation through it. You're going to eat it in five minutes, right? That has now altered the genetic models, the, the components of genes in people, and we're starting to see that. So that's another avenue of theory, right? Then you have to think of um, who is the biggest um, population that has come to North America in Canada, even in the last three years. People are coming from war-torn countries. Um, we have children who have never been to school, who have grown up in camps, uh, refugee camps overseas, and then have come to Canada. Um, they don't they, they don't have the health care there obviously in refugee camps plus if you're in a war-torn nation you don't you're lucky you have water like if you come out with your life you're blessed right um so they're coming to us their families are coming to us who knows what their parents have experienced in their lifetimes cultural norms what are the cultural norms and ptsd is anything, and this is Dr. Jody Carrington, this is this author right here, she's absolutely amazing. She's an Alberta psychologist. I love her. She's absolutely, this woman is revolutionary in how she thinks about education. She talks about PTSD being anything that is encoded in terror. So if you are in a situation where you are terrorized, like you are frightened, you are in fear of your life, whatever is happening in that moment is encoded in your brain in terror, that is PTSD. So these kids in refugee camps, if there's a bombing, if there's somebody's murdered, they don't have food, any time that they are terrified, that is encoded in the brain. That changes the brain chemistry, we know that, right? So then they come here, they have an abundance of food, they have supports, there's no war. A lot of them can't function in these types of environments because of where they come from. We, and we can't address PTSD in that way in our education systems, right? A lot of these cultures won't come forward and saying there's something wrong, right? Because yeah. it's not culturally acceptable, which is understandable, but if we're to serve these people, we have to find a way to get in there mm -hmm. and do that. So there are so many different reasons for mental health issues or even addictions issues. Um, this pandemic, there's been an increase in domestic violence. Yeah. Right? Um, you mentioned it earlier as well, um, the idea of male mental health. We don't talk about it. It's not something you talk about. Mental health, yeah, we've started talking about it more, but male mental health. Um, there's a significant number of men between the ages, I think it's 25 and 35, who die by suicide every year. Right? Why? You're not supposed to talk about your feelings. So is there one thing? No. There's probably hundreds of different things um, that are causing these issues with our students. And education, policing, nursing, any public sector group is trying to catch up. Mm -hmm. And also think too, um, also something that I think teachers must, I think, I'm sure it's been spoken about, but it's also social media. And yeah. um, there's an increase also in cyberbullying because now at any time, I think it's more so in young females than men because in Asian men we do it physically and yeah, um, but yeah, um, young females any time of day and I think even some guys do as well. Care about their appearance and who they like when they're growing up and yeah, 
and also a lot of the image now it's all about what you have on Instagram and so I think that also probably plays a role in Absolutely. Because uh, I, I find myself, I paid more attention to Instagram. Um, I found it more negative or maybe more, more pessimistic. And uh, I, I grew up in a generation where the iPhone came out. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I was one of the people, I just don't gravitate towards technology. I like it, I like the use of it, but like I, I can't I can't Instagram that well. I don't know the hashtags. I, yeah. I can't yeah. do all That's that. That's good. That's a good place to be. Right? Um, because yeah, social media can be really dangerous. But yeah, I played, well, I played, I, I played video games, around, but I also played tons of sports. I was in, in dancing, so I did a lot of things outside of video games. But right now, um, especially now, which is dangerous, because I think it could also be a push for just everyone living inside their homes, essentially, like one of those features to movies. Yeah. And it's all, Touch screens, no interaction, or well, interaction somewhat, but then we're just learning through technology. It's superficial. It's not real interaction. Yeah. So yeah. just interesting what's what's gonna happen. It's scary what's gonna happen. Because we can predict what's gonna happen with this technology. We there's statistics to show what's happening with social media and the bullying aspect of it is obscene mm-hmm. right now. I mean, we've experienced it with my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. We've gone through this sort of situation where I finally put my foot down. I was like, I'm going to be the 1985 baby that I am and think back to when I was a kid and how we would address this. And that's how I addressed it. And it's hard to shift a child's thinking when they're growing up in that kind of technological world, right? Yeah. Yeah. We don't do the TikTok in our house anymore. So we started out, let her do it. And we monitor it, right? Just to make sure that it's, you know, appropriate and who's on Mm. there. And we've taught, we've done the whole discussion about, you you don't know who's on the other end and uh, we've limited, you know, we had limited who your friends are. So do you know this person? Have you actually met them in person? Do they, you know, like, how do you know this person? So we didn't want just random people and that was fine and then there were some and again i think this really has to do with the pandemic is we were so trapped in our houses and the lack of human connection crippled a lot of us especially our kids they need that social interaction that's absolutely necessary some people develop yeah and and there was some bullying that was happening so we had to nip it in the butt and say you know what tiktok is absolutely useless like what is it for you're singing and dancing and then there are 10 other people that are singing and dancing mm-hmm. to the same song like it's the most dumbest shit yeah. ever like what is the point of it right social media in its inception i think really was um forward thinking and purposeful right it's to connect with people around the world connect with people that you've lost touch with mm-hmm. like the idea notion behind it originally i think was great it turned into money though again yeah. right it's how we make money, money right your phone yeah. Political, politicized as well. Yeah, if my if I had my phone right here right now, whatever we're talking about, I guarantee you the oh, ads on like Facebook would freaking be yeah. about education or something. Really stuff, stuff, right? Absolutely. So yeah, so we don't do the TikTok. Uh, the Snapchat is only for people that she actually has met in person and knows. Um, because yeah, sure, talk with your friends. You're like young. She's not in junior high yet. I'm not buying you a phone. You want an yeah. iPhone? You're gonna have to either save up money for that shit, or you're gonna have to wait. Like it's not happening in grade six, right? Um, so she does the Snapchat. She's got you know Messenger kids, but all of it is monitored. And we've tried to teach her the communication with her parents if there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Like we're not gonna save you every time. Here's how to keep yourself safe online. Here's how to, if someone's bugging you, this is how you deal with it, right? It's teaching them how to think that way, which is really, really hard because they're not with us for 
very long when you're at school, yeah, eh? right? What are you gonna do? So then you're putting your trust in, you know, their teacher. Curriculum. Right. And so um yeah, technology is really hard, especially I think for these kids that are coming up right now. I think for me it's super easy because I like bridge the no technology to the you know the really deep, narrow, floppy disk computers yeah. with the black and white and then Oregon Trail. I don't know if you remember that game, it was absolutely amazing, but back in like ninety-two and we evolved. We I had the, Carmen San Diego. Yeah, that was like ninety-seven yeah. or so, right? But so for me it went to from no technology, yeah. right? If you weren't affluent in the eighties. Yeah, we had the, the discman that skipped every time you took a step, right? Because yeah. it had a CD in it, all of the pagers, all that kind of stuff. It sort of evolved MP3 players where you had, you know, your LimeWire or your uh, whatever downloading site you were using. So I appreciate if you where I have to show up when you make plans and you can't just text. Yeah, them. man. Oh. Yeah, because you didn't have the minutes to do it. And to text, you had to, like, you know, um, and was like, one click to number two once and then number five twice like it was you know so you didn't do that so you still have that human connection those were just um sort of enhancements to life you didn't play games on your phone you didn't do none of that stuff now granted it's cool what we have now yeah. technology like i have found our family in ukraine on facebook yeah right so yeah. i connect with them that's awesome people that i don't uh you know haven't seen from school for years like that's all great but is it necessary? No. But the way these kids are going growing up, it, in their minds, is absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's just gonna, right? and the pace in which, because as technology gets better and we're able to discover more, well, the pace in which it grows, it's faster and faster. And this is a off topic, but Elon Musk, um, he says, and I think he's working on it, he says, probably five to the next five, 10 years, don't quote me on that, there's something called Neuralink. Which essentially, um, they're gonna basically drill holes in our head and attach um, wires, mm-hmm. basically neuroreceptors, and eventually uh, we're gonna. It's gonna be great. So we're gonna understand what we're thinking, no one's, but we won't have to talk anymore. Isn't that the worst thing possible? And then there's this kind of conspiracy. And our idea of aliens is lanky, no muscle creatures with no hair. Guess what speak. we are. And uh, what we're evolving to. Mm-hmm. There's people with less muscles, yeah. less hair. Like, I can't even grow a beard anymore. Yeah. I can't. I can't. It's thin now. Maybe because I got sick in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't grow a beard anymore. It's, That's uh, crazy. Yeah, no more. It's thin now. It's, they used to grow a big bush now. Just thin and I like the roller, the pokey roller. Yeah, yeah. Hair, yeah. nothing. I did, I do take the uh, uh, generic brand of Propecia. Yeah. Eric, this uh, Daniel. And no way my, I want my hair like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's crazy how this work the evolution of humanity right now. And, um, I don't think, I think technology is advancing, but almost as humans, we're we not, are advanced, but we're still very primal. We're always going to be that way. Yeah. That's the thing is, is what you're talking about for, you know, these, these chips in your head that, that are going to impact your thinking and, and all of that stuff. It does not recognize human evolution, uh, human instinct, and the human the social need for connection. Like without it, we will destroy ourselves. Which maybe, you know, maybe that's the grand scheme of things. Maybe that's yeah. why we're headed down that way. Because we're not going to be here forever. We've only been here for a tiny amount of time. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But that's the problem with this generation is they don't understand. They think differently. Mm-hmm. Their brains are already thinking differently than when we were kids. And so they Wow, that's so cool. Microchip in my head. I don't have to talk to anybody. How many introverts do we have right now? Introversion back in the day used to be like, oh, you were 
kind of strange if you were introverted. Well, like, right? Exactly. Now it's cool to be an introvert. Well, there's like video right? game championships now, so it's to play a video game where you can actually get money off it. So, which is not bad thing to do, but it's in moderation. But how my question yeah. would be: How do, and those are neat. I mean, in terms of just to study and research, like what the draw is, and yeah, okay, you can make a lot of money. Why, why are YouTubers making millions? But we have starving people and homeless veterans and homeless people and not enough hospital beds or not enough money to fuck. I get it. That's mm -hmm. capitalism. I get that that's um, how that particular economy works. Mm -hmm. I understand it. I think it's crazy though. And that's yeah. the Canadian to me thinking a little bit, right? Is a Canadian like, okay, you know, you got, it's not socialist. I'm not thinking in terms of the socialist because I think everybody needs to earn their keep. I don't think any handouts should be, I mean, handouts when you're down, you really gotta be down. Mm -hmm. Have you tried to get up? If you have and it's not working, okay, we'll give you a hand up. And that's, I think, okay, universal healthcare, all that stuff. But why are these gamers, why is that where the money is? Right? And that's where our kids are. And so they're not thinking how we're thinking. That's the danger is they're going to basically ingest this technology as they keep getting older. So what's the next generation going to look like? How are they going to think? Um, will there be a point to having education in the traditional sense? Like there are certain programs like um, there's a Cogito program, um, which is sort of at your own pace, uh, using different mediums to learn. It's not structured in terms of, you know, paper, pencil, mm -hmm. structured curriculum. They, it's a very different way of learning. And for some students who are really advanced, it's a great way for them to enhance what they're good at already. But for everybody, like, is that how we're going to teach? It's like, what are you good at? Oh, you're good at video games? Let's push that well no can you add can you read a tax form can mm -hmm. you do you know what a bank is for yeah you know exactly. things like that right so it's uh well yeah it's, it's uh, almost like a pendulum um like again i guess well i guess how dad grew up very and mom hard maybe immigrant parents and yeah siblings like 10 siblings and one parent yeah obviously like there's no complaining you just have to do what you have to do and and the thing we got in the other way, where it's basically, again, you have to do what you're told, and discipline doesn't, doesn't matter what's wrong with you, you have to do your chores or whatever, and don't yeah. care. Now we're too far the other way, where it's we care about every little thing, and got to make sure they're they're not stressed, they're not this, and like it's yeah. certain sports, it's more so Eastern County, because I think we're more, or less liberal in Alberta. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think this was a couple of years ago. I'm not sure it's still the case, but there's some leagues in Ontario in soccer where they yeah. only have a, a soccer ball yeah. and they don't keep score. And oh, yeah, yeah. And for me, um, the one time I was most angry when I was playing soccer is when we beat like a team that like beat us you know, during the regular season, season in the fives in the tournament, and we all got the same trophy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was really mad. I'm like, well, we should be in for nothing. Like, there's mm -hmm. no incentive, and then. Again, this goes back to like involves education where the children are already come from, but then we get into the real world where no one cares really cares cares about your problem when you're at your job and you can't call them for help. You, yeah. So it's just a whole mess and And we're seeing that discrepancy um, as well as Alberta's doing in getting kids prepared for the real world mm -hmm. in education. Um, the one problem that was, um, I think it was a 2017 report uh, from the government, it was an education review. One problem was that 
there was like only 58% or roughly around there of students entered post-secondary within six years of starting grade 10. Wow. That's it. And it's been steadily decreasing. So that's tells you right there, are we really preparing them for the real world? Um, I don't know, what does the real world look like, right? Um, like if you, and, and back to talking, comparing about like mom and dad and how they grew up um, with not a whole heck of a lot. Um, if there isn't struggle, if humans or societies don't struggle, there will never be a need for evolution or um, creating, like solving different problems, ingenuity. Um, if you don't have problems, if you don't have some sort of conflict, you will never grow as a human, as a society, as a culture. It won't evolve, right? Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Second World War and Hitler, right? People in Europe and in North, I mean, worldwide eventually. Mm-hmm had a problem, the only reason the war stopped is because they were forced to come together collectively mm-hmm. and come up with an innovative solution, right? Um, the Enigma machine that the UK produced that actually cracked the code. That, that's what saved 100%. that. That didn't, that was a computer. That was a computer that was created by physicists and scientists and mathematicians in the United Kingdom in conjunction with the Allied forces to figure out how to crack the German code. Mm -hmm. Had Hitler not started his second push and had not started what he was doing, would there have been a need for that innovation? No. So what's happening today is that with technology, with everything at your fingertips, you want pizza, push this button. You want uh, your friends to come over, push this button. You want a new house, push this, literally on your ass, right? You push buttons, that's what Mm -hmm. you get. There's no challenge, there's no conflict, so there's really no need for us to problem solve. Especially when you're raised with everything, it's basically given to you that if you complain, you're given this. Yep. Soon as something goes seawater, you know, there's a lot of people angry. Because they don't know how to solve the problem, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. But what that's making us is a weak society. Mm-hmm. We are weaker because of that, right? Because now we're relying on big daddy government. When I have a problem, I'm going to, well, you know, help me out here. Bail me out in mm-hmm. some capacity, right? Why? We have to look at, the, we have to create challenges. You have to create problems. When a kid comes to school, and says, I can't read this. I don't say, oh, it's okay, sweetheart. You'll, you'll read it someday. Why don't you just follow along and listen to all yeah. the rest of us? No. I say, okay, do we know our alphabet? Let's go through the alphabet. Where are you? You have a problem. Your problem is, is you can't read this. How are we going to fix it? Let's start thinking. It's hard work, mm-hmm. innovation, and collaboration. Parents have to come together. Teachers have to come together. The student has to be pushed. And motivated to learn that's how you grow we don't have that in our society anymore we are so dependent give me what I need I want this give it to me I'm entitled to this why because this last generation for the most part has not wanted for anything right because our parents have done fairly well right yeah, isn't, it, isn't this the first generation sorry to figure it off no, was the first generation because the 60s was like the flower, flower power era, where it was about peace and love, more so towards 69. So that's when like rock and roll came on the scene. And yep. 70s was a bit more psychedelic. And 
And then obviously there was more hardcore rock and roll into the 80s, you had glam rock. So each almost decade had a, a defining segment in it. Right. But now I feel, obviously technology's getting better. I'm not saying there's no way to define, but it feels like there's no way to define. There isn't. Remove no. technology from the equation. Right? Remove social media from the equation. Because the other thing that we're, that's popular now is almost like, well, for British generations, like the record uh, vinyls are coming back and hipster clothes or poop clothes back in the 60s and 70s. And Yeah, so you're you're spot on. What defines, uh, well, 2020, what defines it? Nothing, it's shit. But, um, you know, the last 10 years, what's that that particular group's defining, I mean, your generation, right? Like you're you're younger than I am by almost a decade, right? Yeah. So there's there's a shift in generation. Like I'm at the, I think the beginning of the millennial group, right? And you're right in the thick of it. What defines the last decade for you? If we took technology out of it, right? If we took social media, removed it, what has occurred that hasn't included media or technology that has somehow progressed human nature and humans? Fuck all. Because we've been so focused on technology and the evolution of technology, which is good, but not without addressing what is the problem I'm trying to solve with this Mm -hmm. technology, not how much money is this going to fucking make me, right? Because that's where technology is gone. It's what money can I advertise on here? How many followers? How many likes? Can I be an Instagram influencer? What the fuck is that? That's what kids are looking at. They're like, wow, I want to be an influencer. Are you mad? What are you influencing? Yeah. Like, have you looked at, there's those stupid things on Facebook. If you look and they, um, they've got people taking a picture and they're posting on Instagram and there's somebody else taking a picture of them and it's like a total lie. It's total sham. Mm -hmm. It's like, what, what is defining us right now? What is the problem this technology is trying to solve? It's not solving any problems, right? Computers solved certain issues with different businesses, right? So word processing, uh, file storage, um, sharing information through business or government. So emails, Mm -hmm. first fax machines, right? Emails. So all of these things have a purpose, the efficiency of of a problem, solving a problem, right? Now, sure, yeah, it's efficient. I can do all of these things, pushing a button, what problem is it solving? It's creating problems. We have had an influx of problems created in the last decade that aren't even really problems if you remove technology. Cyberbullying, not a problem if you remove technology. We'll still have bullying, but like you said, say it to my face, let's have it out, and it's done, right? That that's how you dealt with it back in the day, and it was effective, why? Because it built character, and oftentimes it built friendships, or it taught you something, you learned something Mm -hmm. from that, right? Now, cyberbullying, what do you learn from that? I mean, think about, what was it a few years ago, that Netflix series, um, 13 Reasons Why. Did you watch that shit? Uh, I don't think so. So, it's, it's morbid, but it's relevant. So it sort of follows, it's done through tapes. So it's this girl that has left a series of tapes, 13 tapes, that okay. give 13 reasons why and the question of why comes at the very end. I don't want to ruin it for anyone that's listening to it, but it is a few years old, but if you read the synopsis on Netflix, um, it's really reflective of this generation and mental health struggles through technology and cyberbullying, right? We've seen so many problems created because of technology. Um, Marriages break up because of social media, right? 
you, people, and you know, the whole notion of fix it before you dump it is like old bag. It's like, we don't fix marriages anymore. Fuck you. You're cheating yeah. on me and you're done. We're divorced. Yeah. Divorce rates through the roof, right? Oh yeah. Um, kids not being able to pay attention in school without some form of instant gratification, right? It's not immediate. They're not engaged, exactly. right? Parents don't know what to do. Well, even, even movies now, um, I think what I've seen, I'm sure you know this, they have to almost, they have to have action immediately in movies now to grab people's attention. Like, I don't think, I don't think people, anyone can sit through uh, what would be, I haven't watched it, but I'm sure I could Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Look at what, like, you have to cut like 75% of the movie. Your point is 100%. Where's the storyline in the movies today? It's all action. You're totally right. When the movie starts, Something's got to happen. Got to catch your attention right away. Are the storylines really good? How many remakes in the last how many years have we had of stupid movies? Mm-hmm. Or Fast and Furious one. Right? Yeah. Like, where's the storyline? Nobody can write a story because it doesn't sell. There are some good movies that have relevant points. Like, The Joker was, like, the latest. almost meant to Brilliantly. But before that, Brilliant. it's like, Brilliant. I, mean, I can't really recall. I'm, They're so far and few, yeah. right? No, it's not like I enjoy like good like superhero movies and sure. But uh, the, the, the best, right. the best uh, or latest like, good movie I liked was The Darkest Hour, was uh, Winston, Winston Churchill. But again, that's almost three hours long mm-hmm. and no action. Right. It's just about following the, the Prime Minister of Britain in wartime. But it's fascinating. It is. But no. that's, that's the thing though. You have to have some sort of interest in that or some sort of, you have to be interested in something, right? Um, and that's something that technology, social media, you know, the instant gratification thing doesn't necessarily allow for any interest building. Like, I like action movies. Well, what, do you like things that blow up? Do you like things that make noise? Those are sensory things. Mm-hmm. So it's this immediate sensory um, interpretation that these kids zombie are taking mode. in. And it's exactly, it's zombie mode. It's, it's, they're not interested in anything that they used to be interested in, or they can't develop those interests. So you have an increasing depression and anxiety with youth today. Not to say that it's 100% technology-based, but it's definitely a factor. Um, they're, when they're on technology or they're connecting with human beings, they say, oh, I'm talking to my friend. Well, tell your friend to come ring the doorbell. Yeah. Like, go to the park. Go meet people. Like, it's crazy notion and they look at you like oh, you want me to do what yeah, yeah go meet people right um so yeah that the idea of instant gratification are we are we interested in the story anymore yeah. right and i think um if we go back to the media idea they capitalize on that we're not interested in the story we want to know who's being crucified today mm-hmm. who are we canceling today uh who are we against today how are we labeling ourselves today yeah that's what we're interested in. That's what they're selling us. We're buying it. Yeah. And what what's happening is they're starting with their, or their idea of their own they want, and then trying to fit yep. their, the information in that way. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it is going to be interesting because again, you mentioned what defines a generation and I, I don't, for me personally, I feel um, extremely out of place in today's generation because um, I'm not really, I'm not really graphic works technology. I watch YouTube a ton, so I watch like, hmm. don't get me wrong. There are good things about technology. Yeah. Like that should be like, you know, said out loud. There are, shit, there are some great things. Like 
Yeah. So it's God's place, and, right? But, but I, uh, for example, well, it's not really by choice. I drive an 05 Mustang. It's not a bad car. I mean, the gas is outrageous, but. Um, Got a car. But I have a standard 05 car, so there's no backup cameras, no sensors anywhere. <laughs> so for me personally, I have to be more conscious and. You're a better driver. Yeah, and I see people, the, the, the most times where I get almost cut off on driving is people with their sensor cameras not looking, trying to switch lanes. Yeah. And for me personally, I have a French Earth coffee maker, so no cure. Um, I'm eventually planning to get a uh, straight razor. So for me personally, I don't know why I'm gravitating, almost gravitating towards more old school, um, old school, old school um, things, things that's not really technology based, yeah. and I really enjoy it. It gives you more control. More control, right? exactly. Yeah. It gives you control to make the decisions of how you're going to use it for you, and. When there's a problem that arises from it, you're the one that's responsible for mm -hmm. solving that problem. Like if you think of the backup cameras and stuff, those are all fine and dandy, but it doesn't teach you to shoulder check. It doesn't mm -hmm. teach you to look around and be aware. So it creates new problems instead of eliminating one, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thing. It gives you back your control mm -hmm. over what you use in your life, right? Now, the only issue I'm facing is the dating game because... Oh, I, I, I would not I, I, want I, to date no. in today's world. No, <laughs> I would no. not. Well, um, I'll, I won't name drop, but I remember, uh, you know, Ryan's best man at his wedding. Yeah. My former boss, he told me when we're working together, if he, uh, if he, uh, if he was around today, he'd probably be dead for me for now just because of the technology. And like Tinder's stuff, again, instant gratification, instant. Yeah. But I was on, I attempted Tinder. I, down, I used to download it once I got bored. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then. I was probably like just texting, probably just messing with this girl for a day or even probably a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And my friend, I just say like, hey, would you like to grab coffee sometime to grab, get to know each other? And her reply was, so soon, question mark? Yeah, that's crazy. And for me, I know that's where a majority of people are, I think, finding their relationships and finding the person. Mm -hmm. um, for me personally, I cannot do it. Um, just because like, if I'm going to text you for a whole week, what am I going to talk to you about date for? Yeah. So... So it's interesting because I feel, I think almost like the generation before me about mm -hmm. living in a generation where you can't, you can't have a conversation without being ousted, you can't yeah. have thoughts and just have, again, open discussion like we are, yeah. potentially having opposing views. And, and I think it was Jordan Peterson, um, I'm a huge fan of him. Mm -hmm. Because he spoke out against the bill, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Ontario is basically a law which you have to call people by the desired pronouns mm -hmm. or you could potentially, I'm sure it depends where you work, of course, mm -hmm. but you could lose your job. Yeah. And Jordan Peterson, it's like, um, he was a tenure professor basically saying, hey, that's against the right of free speech, saying what you can, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be jailed for, again, being censored almost yeah. in narrative uh, media. And I just love his, he says, in order to, um, have, in order to risk offending someone, you have to have free speech, or, or, or having free speech, you have to risk offending someone, sorry. And so it's like, though, sure, you'll be worried about how people feel. Well, yes, you should, you should try to be respectful as possible, but. Yeah, you're always going to have the dinks that are going to screw it up for people that mm -hmm. think like Jordan Peterson, which I don't disagree with. Yeah. Um, there are always going to be people that are going to use the notion of free speech to. Um, 
to talk, tear someone down, no, to push someone up, right? And, and that is an issue, absolutely. And that should be called out for what it is, and it's bullshit, right? Um, but I agree with him in that perspective, in that unless I am doing it to belittle you. Yeah, what's the intent? Right, it's, it's intent versus impact, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you make it clear that, you know, you are identifying as, you know, he or his or whatever, right? And I'm aware of that. That's how I should address you. If I have a slip and accidentally, if you're a transgender person and I accidentally have a slip, you know, early on, I mean, if you know someone for a few years, it shouldn't be an issue for you, right? But you have a slip, um, you shouldn't be prosecuted for that, no. right? Um, I, I don't think, though, that, you know, people... Um, should be marginalized for no, how should. they identify. No, should. But it's not a position. I don't think it's a place for the government to get involved. Mm-hmm. If you want, if you are identify as female, and I'm not aware of that, and I use an inappropriate pronoun, and you correct me. Yeah. There's an example of there was a problem. What was the solution? There's growth because problem wrong pronoun. Solution correction. Growth. I now use the proper pronoun to address you, mm-hmm. right? If I have to immediately guess what you identify as, could be anything. it could be anything, that's not my fault, right? If the government wants to be progressive and say, you know what, you can identify you as- You education. Right? You want to identify as whatever you want to, good. Good for you. You pay taxes just like me. You marry who you want to marry. Yeah. You be who you want to be. That, that doesn't, but fine, that's great. But I am not going to be prosecuted or persecuted, depending on what level you're looking at, for making an error or by openly stating that I disagree with that. Now, if I say I disagree with, uh, you know, self-identification of gender, that's my right to say that. But if, you, if I was speaking to you and you identified as a gender other than what I perceived, I'm respectfully going to address you in that sense. Doesn't mean I agree with it, but I still should be respectful. And I think the majority of people, contrary to what media is telling you, feel the same freaking yeah. way. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I don't, you know, some people that are like, well, you know, I don't really agree with gay marriage. Okay, that's your right to not agree with it. That means that it's not for you. However, if you see people who are engaged in a same-sex marriage, you must be respectful of that. Right? And that's good for them. They're paying taxes. It makes them better people. They're happy. Good for you. Happy for you, right? I don't, maybe it's not for me. But if it's for you, good on you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's most Canadians yeah. think that way. Yeah, 100%. But what does the media tell us? Well, in Alberta, they're bigots and they're homophobes and they're this and that and they're trans. No. Okay, stop highlighting the idiots and giving them Especially the table. Especially if they interact with one another to actually find out what's going on, right? So Exactly. This is a whole cyclical issue. And I I mean, there's so many conspiracy theories about COVID and government intervention when it comes to COVID. And um, the unfortunate thing is the media has lost its credibility yeah. for what it reports. And so when you have, um, you know, medical doctors and physicians and experts essentially in their field telling you something from day to day that's changing and then you have politicians that are implementing things that don't make any sense you have no faith in the government or the media and so you're going round and round in these circles and all these things are kind of going round and round and that's how we get this division right this Mm -hmm. issue with everything when it comes to 
teachers, police officers, government, media, uh, gay rights, trans rights, Black Lives Matter, you name it, it's dividing us. Mm. Because they're showing us this is this look at this shooting that happened. Yeah. Look at you know this and and yeah, I agree. We definitely should change happen. things, and these things shouldn't be happening. But um, the media is spinning it um, in a really biased way. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you heard in the United States, a little boy, five-year-old boy, was shot point-blank execution style in his front yard when yeah. he was playing. Right? Did you hear about that on the news? No. It was on social media, right? Yeah. Nobody heard about it. It wasn't even viral on social media. Wasn't even viral. Yeah. Right? Little boy in the U.S. Somebody walks up, shoots him point blank in front of his family for playing outside. Not in the media, okay? Something happens in the United States, George Floyd, right? Shouldn't happen. Cops aren't even supposed to shoot guilty people. That's not their job. They're not the judge, right? And that's, again, you're putting that expectation on them. You're not providing them with the resources to do that. So then you have these instances where this happens. Okay, shouldn't have happened. Guy's begging for his life. We've got different, you know, uh, cameras and angles and things now that have come out and whatever. Okay, well, what was happening before that arrest? Mm. Like, let's openly talk about that. Condemn it. Shouldn't have happened, right? They don't have the right to be executioner, judge, jury, and executioner. Shouldn't have happened, right? The way that it happened shouldn't have happened. But what preceded that event? that would have influenced how those officers were thinking. Mm -hmm. And you can incorporate history into it too. I mean, racism is alive and well and has always been in the United States. Mm -hmm. Just think of how different races, when African-Americans came as slaves. Yeah, and then they stayed and you go back. Exactly, so so racism is there, very much so. And and unfortunately, just human-wise, it's naturally you congregate and meet with people. You tend to, you tend to. Birds birds, birds of a fair flock together. Yeah. So there's always going to be people who disagree. I think people who think less or other. There's 7 billion people. There's bound to be people. Some people think like that. There are always going to be extreme thinkers, Mm -hmm. extreme religions everywhere in the world. That's not a new thing, right? But what we're being spun is that that's mainstream, right? So George Floyd became the poster child for Black Lives Matter. They're showing us the rioting and the looting and look at how many African-Americans are being shot. They are, they're being persecuted in some instances, but there are a lot of Caucasian, First Nation, look at all the people detained by ICE in this border in the South that are Hispanic trying to cross into the US. Are we, we're not talking about them anymore. That's not important. Yeah. We're just focusing on, on George Floyd, who happened to have an extensive criminal record, who had done a home invasion at one point, um, who was on drugs at the time of his death. Not a reason to kill him, but holy shit, guys, can we have the whole picture here, please? Can yeah. you start reporting on everything? Stop trying to feed us one side of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you divide people. It's exactly. absolutely bullshit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. I, I hope something um in our next elections and hopefully something in the states happens where it's like dad says they're all crooks right yeah all all the crooks and you know vote you have two choices between two 70 plus year old men and where basically i think running a country is suicide at age rapidly so i'm not sure how trump can Trump or Trudeau stay so, like, even Trump hasn't... Well, Trudeau hasn't been to work in a long time, yeah. so that's probably how he's relaxing yeah. in his chateau. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've, uh, I think a lot of like this daydream a lot. I, I thought like in the future wise, take like just if I were to run the country, what would happen? Mm-hmm. I think that'd be very fun. It's uh. Yeah, it's not something that uh, a lot of people can do effectively. You just can't. I mean, look at the things that we've talked about and we haven't even touched on a tiny bit of the complexity of running a society and running a country, right? With all the ties and international issues. But one one person I uh, guess really like and he's a um abraham lincoln mm-hmm. um but what i love what he did obviously freed the slaves mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but he in his cabinet he see put everyone on the opposite party in his cabinet yeah and i'm not saying again our everything's to be updated i think we need a political system you know, we have more a few more parties in the states we have a bit more political parties to choose some but really it's only Two, sometimes three main ones, and one comes in and out. But it's usually, again, it's essentially the same way the States is, and a few minor differences in the States, but essentially the same kind of political system. Again, you gotta choose between two people, and there's not really a congregation or a a group of just a variety of people who come together to decide. It's usually, and maybe it worked back then when there was less people and only especially Canada, only Eastern Canada was developed. Yeah. But now there's 37 million people. Yeah. And 10 times more in the States, and there's one person making all decisions. Yeah. Well, and, and, and are, is the electoral system in Canada or the U.S. actually reflective of their populations? I mean, look at Trump's quote-unquote win. Did he actually win? Well, no, the Electoral College elected him. He didn't win the popular vote. No, he, lost. he lost the popular vote. So did he really win? I don't know. Um, if you look at Canada's electoral system, so one thing that Trudeau ran in his first term, his platform clearly was that he was going to introduce electoral reform to be reflective of um, the population of Canada, not by uh, where there is, um, not where population density was, but with equal seats. So rather than Ontario and Quebec deciding who our prime minister is going to be before I even get to put my ballot in the box, electoral reform would be that we all have equal say. Mm -hmm. So the weight of each province's votes is the same so that there's a little bit more um, fairness in how it's elected, how the prime ministers are elected. Did that happen? No. No. By the time when his the second term, that second election came around, we were standing in line at our local ballot station. Standing in line, hadn't even cast my ballot, they were already projecting a win because why? Ontario and Quebec are three hours ahead and they already voted. And guess what? They have the majority of population, mm-hmm. they have the majority of seats in parliament. There's our government. So is it really fair? Is it really reflective of the people? Mm-hmm. No. But we're standing here screaming about let's defund the police and we're going to change curriculum and Mexicans are bad. What else was that? You know what I mean? Like here's the bullshit that we're being fed to focus on when there are bigger things that actually will lend itself to solving or at least innovating solutions to some of these mm-hmm. problems, right? Exactly. So they're battle amongst yourselves about shit that absolutely does not matter that 
shouldn't say it doesn't matter. You can't change. Yeah. You can't change police brutality on African Americans in the U.S. by rioting no. and protesting. You cannot do it. Could you perhaps, through fair electoral reform in the U.S., bipartisan voting where you don't necessarily have two parties to choose one from, could you have legislation that's put through the Senate that will change African American rights? Yeah and take a look at the prison system that's for profit in the mm-hmm. states and what the population is is it african-american you betcha like 70 or 80 percent mm-hmm. of it is in there can you put forth legislation and elect a government that will actually create reform to address these issues mm-hmm. from the inside out yeah. that's going to be a step towards a solution to the problem rioting um White people getting killed because they're freaking white in these protests. And not getting killed for their race or something they have no control over. It's bullshit. You ain't gonna change anything. You're gonna make it worse. We know this. So this is causing problems as opposed to offering solutions, right? In Canada, First Nations populations, we know that they've been marginalized. Um, The last residential school closed in the 90s. I think it was 96 or something. I was alive. Yeah, man. Okay, so it's a very real thing. And truth and reconciliation, absolutely, I think, in sentiment. It's not bad to recognize that we messed up. In sentiment, it's progress. It's progressive. However, shitting on people and shaming and blaming. Does it, yeah, does it actually benefit the people that it is intended to benefit? Mm -hmm. Are our First Nations people benefiting from a declaration? that we are sorry for what happened. I don't think so. I mean, the few First Nations people that I know, they're like, well, it's a step. Yeah. But it's not doing it. And we do get, like, like I know there's the argument always, hey, we give First Nations money, and, like, why should we be paid? But there is a, a, we introduce, and this is, like, a whole bunch of history, so if you have to, also you kind of research a little bit. Yeah. There, I think their biology can, is not supposed to handle alcohol like Europeans came and obviously marginalize them, put them on territory lands, which um, back to think, I think maybe until the 50s, don't, don't quote me on that. They, they, have, they have to uh, have a car to leave yeah. and to go places. And now, they yes, they, they can hunt whenever, they live tax free. But do they really hunt though? Yeah, like no. how many First Nations yeah. people go hunting? No, and then, yes, we give them money, but then. It's almost playing badly on social. We're not re, we're not really building, um, helping their infrastructures on their their. Uh, well, we've given them autonomy with autonomy. that money, right? So it's like here's a big dumping of cash. So again, taking us back to, are we causing a problem yeah. by dumping that money there, or are we creating a solution? Because the the issues facing First Nations people are facing is not just on reserve, Mm -hmm. because a lot of our First Nations population does not live on reserve. They live just like everybody else, because guess what, they are just like everybody else in a lot of different ways. Um, They want the benefits of everything else as well, but they want to be recognized for the trauma. The trauma is intergenerational, right? But dumping all of that money, take a look at their infrastructure, take a look at some of the bands and some of the leaders that have been siphoning money from their people, gang issues mm-hmm. on First Nations reserves, the lack of um, you know education or access to equitable education on reservations, the disproportionate number of First Nations people in our prisons. If you look at the youth justice system, I'd say having worked in education in the youth justice system, I would say 
well over 75% of the students that I came into contact with were of First Nations descent. So when you're dumping that money there, are you teaching them how to solve a problem? You're saying, oh, you're autonomous. We love your culture. We're sorry. Here's a bunch of money. But we have addiction issues that aren't yeah. being addressed. We have family violence. We have mental health, intergenerational trauma. Broken homes from people of residential schools. There are so many oh, yeah. issues and problems that they are struggling with that dumping money on them is like giving a drug addict an extra, here's a bunch of money. You're autonomous because free speech and we're all free. Here's money because we feel bad. Fix your own problem. It's not going to fix the problem. It's going to create a bigger one. And intergenerationally so. These kids are suffering, right? They're suffering. They're coming to our schools and they've been taught that suffering. Mm -hmm. So the perspectives that they have are intergenerationally taught. Well, my, my cook, my grandma, she experienced a 60s scoop and she lost her kids and the white man came and she was in a residential school and she was abused and she was molested. And so what was done for Cookham other than giving her a settlement at 25 years old and a house on a reserve that's falling apart and no external supports and her kids are maybe addicts or one of them mm-hmm. made it. And one. So they're taught to see, well, this is the white man's doing. Yeah. Which it kind of is. Because yeah. we're not helping the problem. A lot of people argue that we should no longer be funding First Nations um, the way that we have been. And I don't know if I agree or disagree with that. I mean, that there's an argument on both sides of that. They definitely should have supports in place. But the whole notion of, okay, well, do, do, does the government dictate where that money goes? Yeah. Or does the band? There are a couple of bands that have done really well. One specifically the Sla- around Slave Lake in yeah. Alberta. They own hotels. They've done really well for their people for the most part um, and have reinvested that money. That's what you want to have. Exactly. Is it actually happening? You can't take a bunch of a sick culture, a culture that has been beaten down, broken up, sick, and expect them to come out of it just because you're giving them money. Right? It's that whole idea of you have to struggle and have a problem to be innovative and come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. In Ontario, Northern Ontario, they still don't have running water on some reserves. It's 2020. They don't have running water on reserves. Suicide rates are extreme. How do you not have running water in Canada? Right? But then it's easy to say, well, it's the government's fault, which essentially yeah. it is because of the way that money's been allocated, but they're still getting some funding. Has the band been doing what they need to? Who's not listening? So see, now we have a problem. What's the solution? Mm-hmm. Why are we not talking about that? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting, yeah. Amongst all this, where do you see, I guess, education going in general? So we touched on it a little bit in regards to are there preparing students for universe in the real world. Yeah. And, and I believe that I think at least in grade 12, there should be at least more. So note that they have career day now, and um, I didn't know Zero I went to. I never had a career day when I went. It was just mm-hmm. kind of the school. But I think almost they should need a structure in a way, is my opinion, as someone who's not an educator, yeah. who um, never graduated uh, post-secondary, but um, almost where instead of just listening to someone with a career, or mm-hmm. almost have like a week, where you're going to explore a career and actually go test it mm-hmm. in grade 12. Because in some ways how they structure, especially um, trying to become an educator, well, they have their practicum in the last year. Yeah, the last two years. Which, yeah. if you 
finally dislike when I waste thousands of dollars in time. So where do you see kind of education going and maybe post-secondary or maybe just educating students? Um, well, where do I see education going? Uh, when it comes to, so to touch on your point about, you know, grade 12, preparing for careers, getting them work experience. So you can, we have programs like the RAP program um, and apprenticeship programs mm -hmm. where you can earn credits, but you can also earn hours towards um, getting certified or certificate or a ticket in a trade, that kind of thing. So that's existed for a while. I think that's a good thing. Um, when it comes to post-secondary and trying out a career, here's the challenge. You want to be a veterinarian, right? You can't go and try to be a veterinarian to see if you like it. Right? That's the issue. One thing that um, faculties like medicine um, and even education really push for in your applications is volunteer experience. So um, it needs to be, I guess, maybe what the issue might be is uh, being more explicit about what the options are or what, you know, this is what you should do if you want to do this or this is what you should do if you want to do that um, to support students to get that volunteer experience or that work experience before they venture into a career path, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of have to do a little bit of like life before you go into post-secondary, in my opinion. It's important because post-secondary doesn't teach you what you need to know. It teaches you how to think. Yeah. So when you go into it, even though you finish a four-year degree and like, yeah, with education, I actually had someone that I was in education with at the University of Alberta. In our third year, we did our first practicum. Um, and he came back after the practice and he was like, I can't do this. Like, I'm, I'm leaving the faculty. He went into business. He transferred into business instead. He's like, no, I can't do it. Now, there are probably a lot of reasons why that happened. Like, who knows? Maybe his experience was shit. Maybe yeah. he, you know, there's so many different things, right? How do you kind of, I don't know, how do you not know you're not going to like kids? <laughs> right? Like, exactly. You know what I mean? Um, but um, I've seen it happen. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, if you have a degree... You don't need to go into that field per se, right? Because remember, it's teaching you how to think, not what to think. So even though I learned how, you know, different um, approaches in education, psychology of student learning, um, how students learn, all of those things, I could go into a number of different fields. It doesn't have to be education, mm -hmm. right? So that so, so would be why the K-12 curriculum is changing from memorizing no this. Because then again, so I found because I, I, I got honors, so I was a pretty yeah. student. Yeah. I found the jump was almost insane. It is, it is, because you, you were learning very specific, um, specific, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Information, yeah. data, um, you know, formulas, those sorts of things, which serve a purpose. Exactly. Yeah. They serve a purpose mm -hmm. because if you have a strength in math, or when, you know, like if you were, when you were in school, if yeah. you have a strength in math, you tended to go into fields that had math as something that you would use every day. So it, um, the, the way that we taught in, you know, in the past really sort of almost streamlined you into a line of work, which, yeah, maybe you don't get to be as creative in what you're choosing. Yeah. It might not be your passion, but it's something that you're good at, which if you think of, you know, in the fifties, the whole idea of a line assembly line factory workers, you had to be good at what you did. You only did that one thing, you had to be good at it, right? Brought home baking kind of thing. Um, now it's a little bit different. So the, the premise behind concept-based learning was to help students learn what they're good at, but also what they enjoy and kind of build that capacity. Now, whether or not that ever makes a comeback, whether or not we ever see that curriculum, remains to be seen at this point because you can't actually even access the draft curriculum anymore online. It's been removed by the government. 
So um, where do I see education going? Um, I see education going, well, right now it's in a, <laughs> we don't know where it's going right now. We don't know where we're going. Um, where I would like to see it go, I guess is a better question. Um, we need to hold space for our students and our families and our, our staff. We're not connected anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship with parents I see a lot of the time uh, is conflict, right? Um, it's always what's not going well, what, who's not doing what, um, rather than building that relationship. So I think in our pandemic situation, in our funding in Alberta situation, our curriculum, in our influx of um, special needs ESL students, this all this stuff, we need to start connecting to collaborate to actually identify the problems and start to work our way out of it in an innovative way because these are all new things that are coming up, right? That's what I would love to see, collaboration, connection, relationships. Um, because if you focus on the curriculum, you lose sight of what's actually important and you're teaching the kid, like the whole kid, they won't learn from you if they don't like you. Yeah. And if they don't like you, if they're not regulated, if there's some need that's not being met, whether it's at home, mom can't put food on the table because she's working three jobs, but there's five kids at home, there's no dad around, they're not going to give a shit what you're no. teaching in class. So we need to build those relationships with those families so that I know that little Johnny in the back, why he's sleeping right now and I'm going to let him sleep through this class is because his, you know, the situation at home is partying all night long and drugs and we've called social services and he's been moved a couple of times and, you know, Bobby over there is in a group home so he's aggressive because he hasn't seen his family. I need to know these things and I have to have the relationship and the connection with my staff to support these kids because it's going to start to go a little bit haywire right away and teachers need to be supported. Mm -hmm. The shitty thing about our line of work, like a doctor or the line of work of medicine, you're not going to shit, praise the doctors, praise the nurses, yeah. absolutely as we should, 100%. they keep us alive, yeah. right? Very, very good. Four years of education for, for a basic nursing degree, right? lawyers uh, after degrees are two to three years, right? So you should on lawyers because they might go up money, yeah. right? Um, but police officers, I mean, some of them go into the policing program, that's a few years to get um, those credentials as well, right? When it comes to teachers, it's like the one social, um, you know, job that people just shit on. So if you guys only work 10 months out of the year and you get paid for 12, no, I don't. They actually take a percentage of my salary every month. They hold it from me. And then I get it in July and August. I don't get paid for July and August just to sit there and twiddle my thumbs, right? They withhold a percentage of the teacher's salary September through June. And that's what you get in the summer. It's wow. my salary. I don't get anything over and above for sitting at home. How many years? For the last six years, I worked in the summer teaching at um, the uh, Edmonton Young Offenders Center yeah. in the summer. That I, I, I worked for three to five weeks every single summer, right? So you know, teachers are always the first ones to get shit on. You guys are lazy, you guys are whining, you're complaining, yeah. right? Uh, you know, I've, I've seen on social media so many things, people are like, well, you know, essential workers and nurses, they've been working through the entire pandemic and you guys are whining and I'm going, okay, you're right. This is true. Thank God we've had them. Did they work with 40 patients in a room that can, should only have 10? 
Um, did they all have different needs with no support? So like, was there no doctor that came in to assist them or other nurses or was it, you know, like how did that work? Um, and also nurses and physicians, bless their hearts, signed up to work with sick people. Educators did not. Our job is essentially to teach, but I'm a psychologist, I'm a counselor. I'm a nurse, Best friend. I'm a friend, I'm a confidant to parents, right? I'm uh, a referee, I'm also a teacher, I'm a behaviorist, right? Um, I'm a social psychologist, I'm an artist, I'm an innovator, I'm all these things, but I'm not someone who takes care of sick people. So where I would like to see education, collaboration, um, connection, relationship, but respect mm-hmm. for the line of work because not only teachers put up with a lot of shit that we need help with. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I yeah. think that's a perfect end. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks I appreciate for having it. me. Yeah. It was fun. Awesome.